Amen. We are going through some spiritual warfare this morning. Um, so I would ask you to pray for me and my family as I preach. Speaking of family, the Bible often talks about family. In fact, Jesus' favorite uh, way to describe God is Father. And he includes us in that family too. In Matthew chapter 12, there's a passage where uh, Jesus is teaching the people and his mom and his brothers are outside of the house where he's at and, and the house is packed. They can't get in. And so someone comes and tells Jesus, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. And Jesus says, who are my mother and who are my brothers? He looks around, points to the disciples and says, these are my mothers and my brothers. And then he says in Matthew 12, verse 50, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus considers his disciples, his followers, the people who are obedient to him, following him, seeking to live for him. Those, he says, are my family. In fact, we believe that we are God's family so strongly that it's our mission statement. We are God's family, adopted by faith in Jesus Christ, belonging together through the Holy Spirit in love and making disciples of all nations beginning right here in Prattville. That's our mission statement. That's our church mission statement. Did you know that? <laughs> That's how strongly we believe that we are part of the family of God. Now, when it comes to family, we do things a little bit differently. You see, if somebody needs help, we might help them. Somebody that we know, we might be willing to offer a hand. But when it's really difficult, when it really requires great sacrifice, we may not be as willing to help them. But when it's family, when it's family, we go the extra mile to take care of them. I remember one time I was uh, kind of late in the evening. My dad was getting ready to go to bed. I was getting ready to go out because, you know, it's boring at home. I'm going to spend some time with some friends or whatever. And, and, and my dad was like, you really shouldn't be going out. You don't stay out too late, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, dad, I know, I know, I know. I got out of the house, got in the truck. I had a little 1990 Danger Ranger. Some of y'all know what that is. It's a green Ford Ranger, but it's like a forest green. They called them Danger Rangers. Uh, uh, the, the back sometimes would latch, but sometimes not. You know, I had that little door. And sometimes it would catch, but sometimes it wouldn't. And you'd have to like really force it in there or whatever. It would get all cattywampus and all that kind of stuff. It was a truck that my grandfather had bought new. My grandfather had driven it. My father had driven it. Then I had it. I ended up totaling it. <laughs> it didn't make it past me. But I had that Ranger and off I went. Left the neighborhood. Not half a mile later, I'm stranded on the side of the road. The battery has died. Oh, man, my dad was not happy. I told you, you shouldn't have been going out. And, you know, he was giving me the whole nine yards. But you know what's interesting? He was still there to get the truck and pull it back home. He wasn't happy. No, he was not happy, but he was there. You see, when it comes to family, we are willing to do things a little bit more than what we would for other people, even other people that we like. But when it's family... You do whatever it takes. Now, let me ask you a question. If we're the family of God, shouldn't we be willing to do whatever it takes for them, for each other, for, for you and you and me? Shouldn't, shouldn't we be willing to do whatever it takes for us? Yeah, actually. Jesus says so. 
In John chapter 13, by the way, if you want to turn your Bibles to James, you can. James chapter 4, but it'll be a minute before we get there. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible to James 4, that's fine. But it's going to take us a minute to get there. Because I want to show you the command that Jesus gives. In, in John chapter 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, is this really a new commandment? Well, in some ways, yes. Because he's never given them this command before. But in some ways, no. It's a command that had come from the beginning. It had come all the way back from Leviticus chapter 19. But Jesus is going to sharpen it. He's going to put a new edge on that. He's going to file away all of the rust because, it, well, this knife hadn't been used in a while. And he's going to file all that rust away and get that nice clean edge and he's going to cut straight to the heart with this commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. And then he goes on, he says, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now let's break this commandment down real quick. I, I, I want to really get the essence of what Jesus is saying here. First thing that we notice in this is the realm of the command. He says, love, not feel love. He says, love, it's active. Love is not a feeling we experience. It is an action we perform. Now, yes, there are feelings that go with it, but that's not all they are. If love is not active, it is not love. In other words, love exists in the realm of action, not emotion. Okay, That's the realm of the command. This is in the, the physical, actual realm of action, not just in this mental space that we have. It's out here. Second, notice the reason of the command. The realm of the command is the realm of action. The reason of the command, the justification behind loving each other, he says it back in verse 34. He says that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. He says we love, you love each other because I've loved you. Now John John was in the center circle. This is, being, this is uh, the first of five chapters in John that focus on the last night of Christ. So from John chapter 14 through John chapter 17 covers from the beginning uh, when they go into the upper room to eat the Passover meal to the time he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. That, I don't know, two, three hour span? Four hour span maybe? Maybe if it was a really long one, six hours. In those hours, we have distilled some of the most precious teachings of Christ. And in this, he says, you need to love one another just like I have loved you. And John is sitting there the whole time, and man, he must have gotten the message. Because by the time he writes his first epistle, well, well listen to him. This is in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. That's a complete 
full payment that makes us righteous. That's what propitiation means, okay? When, when in, the, um, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the, the tax collector says, beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's asking God to propitiate him. It's the same basic word. Beloved, John continues, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You know what he's really saying here? He's really saying that if we will love one another, people will see God in the way we love one another. That's the reason of the command. God loved us, so we should love one another too. That leads us to the result of the command. John 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The realm of the command is the realm of action. The reason of the command is that God first loved us. The result of the command is that everybody's going to know that we're his disciples. It is the primary means of our identification as followers of Jesus that we love one another. This is how they'll know you're mine, Jesus says, the way you love each other. That's going to be the distinctive. Our love for each other is the defining characteristic of God's family. And as a result, everybody will know that we belong to him. So the nature of our relationships with each other as God's children must be defined by love. <sighs> Problem is, we don't do that very well, do we? Now we're ready for James. James chapter 4. You're like, really? Now? We're halfway through the sermon. Yes, James chapter 4. Because our problem is that oftentimes we don't love one another. Well, we might say we love one another. And sometimes we might come to help somebody that needs help. I've heard all kinds of different things. And, and some folks are, are just very expressive in that love. And some folks are just not as expressive. I've heard folks say, Pastor, uh, you ever need anything, you're welcome to it. What's mine is yours. That, that's a good thing, right? That's a practical way of love. But sometimes, well, sometimes we don't treat each other with love. In fact, sometimes, James chapter 4, you, if you'll remember last week, we talked about verses 1 through 10, and they talk about the passions that are at war within us. And I said that the, the only way to have victory over those passions is unconditional surrender to God. Do you remember that? Y'all remember that, right? No? Okay, I got to do a better job then. Y'all are looking at me like, you did? <laughs> yes, I did. The only way that we have victory over these passions that are at war within us, passions that drive us away from the heart of God, and passions that separate us from each other, that put us at odds with one another, the only way we have victory over those passions is unconditional surrender to God. These verses 11 and 12 go right along with that theme, but they zero in on how we treat each other. Much of what he's already said, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Those things that he's saying in, in earlier verses are all kind of dealing with God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That deals with God. Be wretched and mourn and weep over your sins. That deals with God. Humble yourselves before the Lord. That deals with God. But what about each other? How, how, how do we completely surrender with each other how, how do we how do we relate to one another in light of all this 
verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Jesus begins with a command. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Your version may have something like, do not criticize one another. The Greek term here speaks of a falsehood that is spoken in malice and hostility. You know, this idea isn't new. It's not unique to the Christian church. This has been happening since the day that God told Abraham. In fact, this has been happening since the Garden of Eden. Why do you think Cain and Abel got to fighting terms? Got, got actually fighting against each other. Why do you think Cain killed Abel? You don't think he just walked up behind him and killed him, do you? I think they had some words first. And I think maybe, maybe, just maybe, those words took the anger that was in Cain and inflamed it. Now, I don't know what exactly happened, but I can tell you this. Cain didn't do it without saying something. Zechariah, God, God commands uh, the Israelites through the prophet Zechariah. These are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. He says, you, re you, you really want to honor me? Watch how you take care of each other. Watch how you treat one another. In fact, God takes this talk so seriously. In Psalm 101, verse 5, he says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. That's pretty strong, huh? But look at things from God's perspective. He created that other person. We talk about God creating us. And that's a good thing to dwell on. It's a good thing to meditate on. But that's true of them too. That brother, that sister of yours, he loves them. Loves them the same way he loves you. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them too. They are image bearers of God, beloved by the King of Kings. And when we speak against one another, we are denigrating the image of God that is put in them. We are denying them the value they have as a child of God. We might as well spit in their face, in fact. But we're not just spitting in their face. We're spitting in God's face. Look back at 411. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. When we speak against one another, we are really speaking against God, against the one who created that other. We are speaking against God and against his law. We become judges of the perfect judge. If you judge the law, you're not a doer. You're a judge. Now, now judging God, that's just backwards. I mean, picture it. Can you imagine a player overturning a referee or an umpire's call in a game? That's the wrong call. It's going to be this instead. 
Now, they might want to, but can you imagine them actually getting away with it? Think about a You walk into a courtroom. The judge says guilty, and the defendant stands up and says, I overrule you. I'm innocent. No? Can't picture that happening? Can you even fathom the possibility that a student could give himself a higher grade on the test than what the teacher gave? No. Again, some have tried. Doesn't work. Those things are unthinkable. And yet that's what we do with God. We strut up to the throne of grace like we own the place. And we demand that God step aside for us to reign. The Most High. And we tell him you're not good enough. Psalm 96.13. We read it this uh, morning. God will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And we tell that righteous, faithful judge to take a hike so we can be judged instead. Who do we think we are? When we talk bad about our brothers and about our sisters, when we judge them from our own twisted, demented view of justice, we spit in the very face of God and call him incapable of measuring up to my standards. It is the grossest form of sinful pride for us to stand before God and claim that we have a better judgment than him. And that's what we do. We ought to be absolutely ashamed of ourselves for the way we sometimes treat one another. We have no right to speak against or judge each other. No right at all. Malachi says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? When we speak against our brothers and judge them, we are turning our backs away from them. We become star witnesses as the accuser stands to try to condemn them before God. And yes, it's that accuser. We're in cahoots with the enemy. We have no right to do that. Didn't, wasn't one of the commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. We cannot justify being false judges either. How do I know that? Because I are one. I deserve judgment. Spoiler alert, so do you. Romans chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? That's me. My tendency is to judge the worst in other people that really is the worst in me too. You ever see that? You ever, how many of you when you were young, brothers and sisters, would be doing something wrong, and you'd be doing it too, but then you'd tattle on them for doing it. Liars. Well, I've seen some of you with your siblings even today, and y'all still act that way. So don't tell me you didn't do it as kids. Some of y'all are like, well, I was an only child. <laughs> yeah, you did it with friends in school, I bet. It's so easy to fall into that trap. And sometimes we don't do it that bad. Sometimes it's not that we accuse someone directly. Sometimes we just want them to look a little worse and us to look a little better. You know, I'm always having 
to clean up your messes. <sighs> you want me to do something else for you? You know, that guy, he really messed up this report, but don't worry, sir, I, I fixed everything up. We're good. It's all, it's all right now. Yeah. Amen. Our one. We have this tendency, and it's pride. You really want to know why you're talking bad against your brother? Pride. I must increase. And it doesn't matter who has to decrease to make it happen. And it's really just showing how guilty you are. See, anytime we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves, we are failing to live by God's standard. How much more true is that in the family of God? And by the way, we're failing to love God too. Because if you don't love your brother, how can you say you love God? Paul, again, in Romans, this is in chapter 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide, excuse me, never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of our brother. We do well to remember that we cannot judge because we deserve judgment. God is the only one qualified. That's why in James 4.12, he says there's one lawgiver and judge, and it ain't you, and it ain't me either. Praise God, I don't have to worry about that. You know how tough it is to make a decision sometimes? Can you imagine having to make every decision perfectly? Boy, that would be a load. Not for the perfect judge. He's the only one qualified. He's the only one who's able to make perfect judgments. He's the only one qualified because he's the only one who is perfect. Let's go back to that, that scene in the temple with those two guys praying. The Pharisee standing in the middle of the place all arrogant and proud. It, it, it literally says uh, praying to himself because God wasn't listening. He says, thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like all these other people. And he starts naming off people. He says these folks and that folks and are not even like that tax collector over there. You can picture him being really loud with his prayer too. I fast twice a week and I tithe. Let me, let me tell you all the good stuff that I do. But then there's the other. There's that tax collector. And, and as I said before, he's beating his chest and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, propitiate me. Clean me. A sinner. I'm just a sinner. And Jesus gives his assessment. Luke 18, 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then he gives a principle, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Can I nerd out for a minute here? Is that okay? Am I allowed to be a nerd? Should I get some glasses? Do I, do I need some like real thick glasses? The word justified, dikaiomenos, it's perfect, passive. It's already been completed. The effects are ongoing, and it's not something he did. You could translate it this way. He went down to his house having been justified for good. 
He came pleading for God's mercy. A sinner undeserving of grace. And he went away a grateful recipient of that mercy. Justified by the grace he could have never earned. So who are we to judge our brothers? Who are we to speak against one another? We're not. No, instead, we should judge ourselves. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, he talks about the guy with the beam in his eye who's, who's telling his neighbor, you got a speck in your eye. And he says, you hypocrite. Don't you love how Jesus uh, uh, is very careful with how he talks to other people? First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Only when we address our own pride and deal with the sin that lies with us can we speak truth and love to each other. Only when we recognize the rightful judge can we truly love our brothers and sisters the way he does. Only when we surrender our own glory can we see God glorified in his family. Today for an invitation, I want to do something a little different. I'm not going to ask you to come up front unless your problem is with me. And then in that case, come. But if your problem is with somebody else, you've got that, that you know that there's on your heart is that person that you have been speaking against, that you have been hating, that you have been despising, that you have, have been judging instead of loving. I'm going to ask you to go straight to them this morning. We're going to, we're going to play a verse of invitation. We're not even going to sing, Jim. And you just go to the person that you need to go to and apologize. Seek forgiveness. And ask God to help you love them the way you ought to. Pray with me. Father, this is, this is so hard sometimes because we think, we think of ourselves and, and we tend to compare with one another and we tend to want to see how we are in the midst. We, that's why the rankings are in the newspapers. How are we doing compared to others? How do we stand in comparison to other folks? We look at medal counts because we want to see the U.S. on top. We look at uh, uh, sports rankings because we want to see our team with the most wins and the fewest losses. Our team with the best playoff position. Our team with the best stats. Our favorite players as the ones who are hitting the most home runs, scoring the most touchdowns, getting the most goals. Father, we look at those things and... and, and and, and we rank because we want to see how we compare. We have to know that we're better than somebody, even if it means finding out that we're not as good as others. And the whole time we should be comparing ourselves to you, seeking your forgiveness, and asking for your help to love one another. You loved us, so we should love one another too. Help us to love each other, especially in your faith. Father, in this time, you move in our hearts, you show us what we need to do, and you help us have the courage to go to our brother or our sister to seek forgiveness and to try to love them the way that you do. With your help, I know you'll bring that work to fruition. You give us the strength. We're your children, and help us be good brothers and sisters to one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.